folks, and welcome to the Sense and Theory podcast, where we cut through the bias and extremism in order to find common ground that brings us together. I'm Sense. And I'm Theory. And today, as we approach Election Day, uh, we've decided to tackle one of the the big debates that kind of cuts us right down the middle and has people on one side or the other, and that is the ongoing argument this country has been having about voter disenfranchisement slash voter fraud, right? <laughs> so so we have we have this, it's like one of those clear-cut issues. We've got one side, which would, you know, be the Republicans more or less, and they're saying that there's rampant voter fraud everywhere you look and that That's we've got right. to institute all these laws to to put an end to it. Democrats on the other side go, no, this doesn't exist. It's a myth. In fact, I was just scrolling Twitter and saw two separate tweets from people saying, Trump's trying to bring back the myth of voter fraud. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but they will point to instances all over the place about voter disenfranchisement. And that's yep. when Republicans will uh, pass laws to purge voter rolls or close down, uh, you know, voting places that mm-hmm. are largely uh, African-American uh, to essentially uh, call the vote. Yeah, that would be for the Democrats and so, give them an edge in elections. So that's the idea is the idea is that Republicans are only worried about voter fraud because they want to use it as the avenue by which to suppress votes of, you know, minorities and, and other classes of people who typically vote Democratic. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah, we strike 3000 voters, 80 percent of them are Democrats. That's pretty good. You've right, just, right, right. <laughs> just struck a nice little majority from the Democrats vote there. So. You know, where does the truth of this situation lie? Well, oh, we're post truth, buddy. We're going <laughs> to truth. What are you talking about? We got a president who, who spouts nonsense all day. We're going to look at truth. What? <laughs> well, okay. it's, it's a novel concept, but I figured I figured we tried it. <laughs> now, we're going to we're going to kind of look today at the the arguments for both sides and see where the truth lies. And uh, believe it or not, in my opinion, just kind of giving you a little preview. I think there's a little truth to both arguments. Yeah, Imagine that. I think there is too. And in fact, when we when we started researching for this episode, we decided somewhere along the way to kind of take the partisanship out of the argument because to me, the partisanship kind of infests uh infests and biases your viewpoint on this. If right. if you look at voter fraud on one side, um maybe favoring Democrats or uh you know, on the other side maybe favoring Republicans, you're going to be biased if that's your team. So mm-hmm. we have tried to strip out the the party affiliations from all of these stories, unless it just has to be in there. There's yeah. a couple times where you know the Democratic Party is officially involved, and we'll mention it. But but overall, we're not playing sides here. Mm-hmm. Um, we just wanted to bring you guys instances of both of these things happening, so you guys can get a clear picture of what's actually going on on the ground. Right. So. Where are we going to start here? I think where we have to start is with the Voting Rights Act, because there was a Supreme Court case back in 2013 that gutted a key component of the Voting Rights Act. And that is kind of while while these conversations about vote fraud and vote disenfranchisement stretch way back, um, those are, you know, that that conversation has been ramped up greatly by the Supreme Court's decision on the Voting Rights Act. So what exactly is the Voting Rights It's a 1965 law that Lyndon Baines Johnson signed into law. It was kind of like the crowning achievement, uh, one of the crowning achievements of the civil rights movement. And basically, in in general, it says that you cannot make a law regarding voting that will result in the discrimination against a minority class. And that's great. It's something we absolutely needed. Yeah, absolutely. uh, Because especially at the time, uh, it, it wasn't like, you know, undercover that this stuff was going on. It was out in the open. Absolutely um, not. You had poll taxes uh, where, you know, you had to pay to vote. Uh, you had uh, literacy tests where you had to prove that you could read. And obviously, especially back in the 50s and 60s, you had uh, minorities who were, uh, you know, unable to go to adequate schools. And so they didn't have a chance at being able to pass these literacy tests. And, and right. often they were written, you know, complicated and, and all that stuff. So that is the general provision of the Voting Rights Act. But what comes up in the Supreme Court case is a very specific provision. And that provision was that certain jurisdictions of the United States who had engaged in those types of activities, poll taxes, literacy tests, stuff like that, were going to be put into a special class where anytime they wanted to alter their laws around voting, they had to get it approved either by the attorney general 
or I think it was the United States, uh, the D.C. United States District Court. And that, that makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, I think if you're going to engage in, in blatant fuckery, mm. that we ought to put, make you subject to some oversight and say, well, hang on. I mean, I guess there's there's the court system, but that takes too long. You know, right, when we're talking right. about the voting system, you know, this happens every couple of years. We got to we got to be on the ball. So it makes sense if you're you know, if your county has engaged in, in questionable behavior, put you before an oversight board. Mm-hmm. Make sure you're doing the right thing. It makes a lot of sense. But where do the detractors come in? You know, when this was challenged way down the line, where does the detraction come in? Right. Well, so here's the deal. So the jurisdictions that were subject to this were selected using what was called the coverage formula. And here's the coverage formula. Uh, it consisted of two qualifiers. Your district, uh, to qualify, uh, had to, as of November 1st, 1964, uh, the jurisdiction used a test or device to restrict the opportunity to register and vote. Or, less than half of the jurisdiction's eligible citizens were registered to vote on November 1st, 1964. Or, less than half of eligible citizens voted in the presidential election of November 1964. Now, uh, in the actual law, that got updated in 1968 and 1972 when they reauthorized it. At one point, you know, originally it was just racial minorities. And in the 70s, they included it to be language minorities. So, like, you couldn't basically ice somebody out because they didn't speak English. Right, right. You know, so, but still, it was it was resting on criteria from things that happened in the 60s. Right. So, your, so your precinct may have engaged in, in some of this shenanigans back in 62. Mm-hmm. It hasn't happened since, but you're still under the oversight of this right. committee. Right. And yeah, and so it gets a little shaky there. It does. It does. Well, you know, to your point, I mean, it's not it's not an uncommon practice. Like, I mean, you know, look at the way the NCAA handles sports. Like if you get found cheating, then they put you on probation. Right. Yeah. You're going to be watched for a little while. But but 50 years. Yeah. You know what I mean? So so basically it went up before the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court struck it down. Uh, just that part of the Voting Rights Act. So like you'll see breathless reporting. I remember, especially at the time, the Supreme Court has killed the Voting Rights right, Act. Right, has gutted. They and, used the yeah. term gutted over and, well, and over gutted and over. Gutted is actually, to me, gutted is is closer to the truth in a sense. It did take out a major part. Right. You know, it did kind of cut the gut out of this thing. But still, the law lays on the books. You can't make laws that result in the discrimination Right against a minority or a language minority. So I mean, it's and that it's, includes poll taxes and, and <laughs> yeah, exactly, tests and all the things. So and and the grounds that they they decided to overturn on was uh you know the principle of equal state sovereignty. I mean, think about it. You're having one section of the country or you know various. Uh, this actually extended out. It wasn't just the deep South that was ultimately covered by the Voting Rights Act. You had random counties in Arizona or a county over here, any precinct that would, you know, end up matching the criteria. Um, but, you know, they had to go and ask, like, you know, Oliver asking for a bowl of porridge, can I change my voting laws? Yeah, please? say they want to try out star voting or, you yeah. know, or rank choice voting. Like, yeah, you got to go before the board. So I could see, like, the sovereignty argument saying that we're we're less of a, you know, we're less of a county, we're less of a state mm-hmm. than these guys over here because of something that happened 30 years ago. Right. What I don't understand is why did why they didn't just update it, you know, and say, okay, well, if if this was longer than thirty years, then you're off the hook. You like, know, probation runs out eventually. Why can't this just? Why couldn't we just add a clause that says you're on the hook for five years, and then in the event that you do, well, that would be the Supreme Court couldn't. You know, obviously the legislature would have to go through and and, and write a law. Oh, our legislature that likes you know. to do absolutely nothing. <laughs> well, I'm day. saying the Supreme Court can't, you know, be like, well, we want to read, you know, they just decide it is or it ain't. Fair enough. Um, but the legislature could do that. The question is, can they can they do it to can they set it? That that's the question that came up was like I said, equal state serenity. And can you say that Alabama you're going to be, you would have to put in a limit. You can't say you're going to be indefinitely different than the rest of the states in the union for something that you did at right. this point. So, yeah, I think they could, you get a lot of pushback, but I think you could institute rules that say, Alabama, you're going to be a part of this program and be under watch for five years if we catch you doing this. And after we learn about the the crazy shenanigans that have happened in several states, I think most of us are going to be thinking there's there's several of these states that should be on such <laughs> yeah. probationary periods. Georgia's one of them. No, absolutely. Well, it opened up. So that took that requirement out and opened up the ability 
of, uh, you know, these states to start altering their, their voter laws. And what do we see? I read a vice analysis, and these are some of the numbers since that's been struck down that we're starting to see. In the jurisdictions that were formerly covered by the Voting Rights Act, 13 polling places are being closed for every 10 that are being closed in the rest of the nation. Okay, so it's like a 30% increase. Yeah. A third of all counties formerly covered reduce their amount of polling places compared to a fifth of oh, the rest okay. of the nation. Okay, boom, yeah. Uh, the jurisdictions formerly covered closed 2.6% of all polling locations versus 2% across the rest of the country. Not a huge discrepancy, but still. It, well, there is, but there is a discrepancy, which which kind of makes you wonder. You know what I mean? I mean, that, that definitely, to me, shows... Like they've unshackled them and there is a difference in these areas. Why? Right. You know what I mean? Uh, and then, uh, you know, since 2012, 26 states have passed laws to expand access to early voting, but only four of those states are amongst those formerly covered. Now, this <laughs> one, that one bugged me a little bit uh, because it's kind of silly. All right. This if we're talking about whole states that were covered under the Voting Rights Act, we're talking about the Deep South. Right. And we're basically talking about Louisiana, Alabama, Arkansas, uh, you know, Georgia, you know, like I said, the deep South, the old Confederacy, if you want. Sure. So it didn't. But it didn't comprise all of them. Like, if I remember correctly, North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee, Kentucky, we you know, we weren't on. that. So to say that only four of those states did what half the country has done for early voting is a little misleading because we're only talking about six, seven states. Right. So it what actually, percentage of those states? It actually kind of yeah. makes sense in that context. Yeah, I, yeah. I can see, I can yeah. see that. So that, that vice, that virus article, we'll have it in the show notes. I've got numerous problems with it throughout the thing, but I think vice does, you know, the, the polling station closure numbers. Yeah. There is something different in those jurisdictions and it bears looking into. Well, yeah, it absolutely bears looking into, um, you know, this is all of the classic tactics that are that are used to suppress votes. Um, we've got voter roll purges, you know, limiting access to early voting. And of course, the big favorite voter ID laws, right? Um, you know, which which is kind of the big tool that's used uh, that people say is used to suppress the minority vote. Right. Um, and we have a perfect example of that with uh, North Dakota recently. Mm hmm. Uh, I'm not sure how recently. I think the court case is just trickling up through the system, uh, but it's kind of been ongoing for a couple of years. Um, so the Supreme Court declined to hear a case uh, regarding, okay, it's right here in my notes, uh, that should have been real easy, uh, a 2013 North Dakota voter ID law um, that will affect mostly Native Americans in the state. And the law requires an ID to pre be presented at the time of voting that ID must have a residential address on it. Now, the problem with that is that Native Americans in the state of North Dakota mostly have P.O. box addresses. You know, mm -hmm. they're, they're sovereign, so they don't have to abide by the same rules that, that we do because right. of various treaties and stuff. Um, so they're saying we're no longer going to accept a P.O. box on your ID at the, at the polling station. And to me, that kind of makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you don't want people going and setting up a PO box over here and going to vote and then drive, you know, to the next County, set up a PO box there and go to vote. And, you know, you vote 20, 30 times. Uh, it's, you know, yeah. Vote, to me, voter ID, it's interesting because it is kind of like the linchpin that all this stuff rolls, revolves around, right? You've got, of course, we've voter roll purges have become a thing here recently, uh, uh, last few years, uh, early access is becoming more of a thing. But really, it's like voter ID, right? That That's the crown jewel. In this case, I think about as well as any other kind of illustrates, you know, my my problems with citing voter ID as vote suppression, right? So the idea here is, like you said, on reservations, they don't have street addresses. Most of the Native Americans who live there use P.O. boxes. And they have said, here's a law. You got to have a street address. So instead of you know, doing something to get street addresses that these people could then use to have on their IDs to vote. We challenged it in court and we fought it for years and stuff. Well, now it's made its way to the Supreme Court. They declined to hear it on October 9th. And the cries are, this is voter suppression. It's only a month before the election. <laughs> no, man, the law was passed back in 2013, you yeah. know, and, and the state itself, the state has said to people, hey, 
contact the local 911 coordinator for the county. Right. And they'll actually give you a, a street address issue just off you the cuff, a free right? address. Yeah. And you'll yeah. be able to go vote. And they're saying, well, you know, people have to call individually and, you know, it's a bit of a hassle to have to do that thing. You know, you got to go get a new ID and all that stuff. And it's like, again, this law passed in 2013. Now, I'll, I'll grant them some of the confusion is that as part of that litigation, one of the courts had issued a stay. So in this primary this year, people were able to vote still with their P.O. Box hey. IDs. But, you know, which well, no, not this coming midterm, but back in like June, I think. I, I forget when North Dakota has their primary. But so they're saying that adds to the confusion because now people were like, oh, I'm good. I, I was able to vote. And it's like, how far down the road does the state have to go to make sure people are aware? They're, they're announcing it. It's all, you know, it's in the news. They're, they're putting out this campaign says contact these people, get an address. Like, I mean, I think they need long enough to, to catch up. You know, I'd say a couple of years, a couple of years. Is, well, it's is, been five. How long does it take to, to renew your driver's license? Like you got what, four years? Well, between it, it renewals varies here in Kentucky. It's uh, every six years. I think you have to renew. Yeah. So I, I feel like if you're going to make changes that require people to get a new ID, uh, or jump through hoops, you got to give them long enough. And, and you know, if that term is six years uh, before the last person is going to, you know, go into the uh, ID office and get a new ID, then make it six years or long. I mean, you know, give a give a grace period another year, make yeah. it seven years. Um, I'm saying we're five years in. Right. And they're saying that this is suppression. And, and to me, I, I don't really have a problem with you having to present your ID no, when you go vote. I, I don't either. And that's that's what confuses me about the whole argument. I mean, you've got to you got to have an ID to walk down the street in some places. If police yeah. stop you and ask for your ID, you know, you're a vagrant if you don't possess an ID and a dollar in some places. You got to mm-hmm. you got to show you got to have ID uh, to get a bank loan. You got to have ID to get, to on, do, a plane. To get on a plane. Almost yeah. anything you do. In the public sphere, we want to maintain integrity of those places right. uh, and the safety of those places. And man, the polling place is is important to yeah. maintain the integrity of. So to right. me, like, yes, I understand we want to verify who you are and that you only appear one time. Right. And if we don't do that, then then our elections are at least the 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 optics are that it could be rife with fraud. Right. And that's not cool to me. And I think I think that's one of the things that that comes up time and time again in this discussion is one of the things that you have to remember when you look at the motivations on all sides, whether we're talking about Republicans or Democrats or whatever, is that the republic only works. It only functions if we trust the integrity of our elections. Right. So, there, you know, in, in the large sense, you're going to you're going to see people saying, hey, we need these IDs for the integrity of the election. You're going to hear people say, hey, there's, you know, voter fraud is practically non-existent. And and bear that in mind, because politicians know if you don't trust the elections, I mean, look at Trump. If you don't trust the integrity of the elections, this whole jig is up. Right. Our nation unravels. You know what I mean? Yeah, I tend to agree with you. So when it comes to, you know, you mentioned like the laws where you have to have an ID in your pocket if you're walking down the street. I don't agree with those. Actually, I have a problem with those. I think if I want to walk down the street, you know, for one, what's this guy pulling me over for? For two, it's none of your business. Well, you're a constitutionalist. You have but the yeah, right to travel yeah. unmolested, I right? I go wherever I want, you yeah, know? I tend but to agree. When I'm, when I'm going to officially do something like that, yeah, there's got to be a standard that, like you said, establishes integrity. And I think when we say, we get into a very weird place when we start saying, like, you know, uh, uh, all black people don't have IDs. Or, you know what I mean? I know like, everyone's like, probably seen the video. I don't remember who it was, but he's walking down the street interviewing black people uh, in New York or something. He's like, uh, do you know where the ID office is? Do, yeah. do you have an ID? And, you know, people are like, of, of course I have an ID. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the ID office. Yeah, it's down on uh, Elman Second. Like, right. do, you, do you know how to get there? I, just, I take the bus everywhere. Of course I know. How. <laughs> like, so it is it's kind of ludicrous to me to say, like, oh, black people won't have an ID. And and. And there are some numbers to back that up, I think. Right. I haven't looked at them, but I think there's numbers that say, um, you know, a disproportionate number of African-Americans uh, do not possess a state ID. Right. But but to me, the problem is there. 
Right. So the let's problem, deal with that. Yeah, yeah, let's deal with that downstream or upstream. Yeah. Uh, back where the problem is, let's get people the IDs that they need to function in society. Let's not open our voting system up to, to fraud and abuse. Well, I'm glad I'm glad you bring that up because that actually, while I've said that, while I've said that I think it's completely okay for you to require an ID, a photo ID be presented at the time that you vote, uh, that doesn't mean that there isn't still fuckery about when it comes to voter ID laws. For instance, we've heard instances where you've got the, the only DMV in the county that can issue a driver's license and it's only open the second Tuesday of every month. Right. You know, you've got, uh, I believe Texas had a, a strict ID law that says that you can't use a student ID. Mm. And I get that to an extent because I don't, I think if it has a photo on it, it's just fine. Well, but I mean, does any photo count? So a if, student ID photo. Yeah. Well, but I'm saying what's uh, it had like, what you're going to go enroll as a student in some college over here, like, and then enroll over here and get yes, IDs I think, issues. It cost how much money does it cost to enroll in college, man? Like, I, I think there's, well, no, I think there's every potentiality though, that especially when you have like activist groups trying to coordinate students. And then you say, hey, vote here and then go back to your mom's house two counties over and vote again today. Oh, and vote with your, you know your what state I'm ID like, yeah, that's no, got I your think, mom's address on it. I think it. that's a possibility. Mm. So, I, I, you know, but I'm, that's not a hill I'm going to die on. Like, I'm not going to begrudge you that point. We can argue about that. However, what we can argue about is cases in North Carolina and stuff where they said that only a driver's license will count. And that's not okay because not everybody drives. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's if, if ridiculous. It's, if it's you know, if it is a state ID card, it should most certainly count. And and there was a lot of a uh, lot of shenanigans going on in North Carolina that that we dug up. Um, I'm gonna read this. I think this was from Mother's Mother Jones here. Uh, the version of SL two zero one three three eight one provided that all government issue IDs, even many that had been expired, would satisfy the requirement as an alternative to DMV issued photo IDs. But with race data in hand, the legislature amended the bill to exclude many of the alternative photo IDs used by African-Americans. As amended, the bill retained only the kind of IDs that white, white North Carolinians were more likely to possess. And the messed up thing here is that they have proof in this court case. It came out that they actually looked at the data. The legislator looked yeah. at the looked at the data, figured out which IDs black people were more likely to possess and struck those. And then turn around and ban those. Yeah, yeah the that's law. absolutely egregiously oh, it, ridiculous. The thing was, though, it didn't stop there. Like, they they basically, North Carolina, I mean, they 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 did this across the board. Uh, legislators also requested data as to the racial breakdown of early voting usage. The racial data provided to the legislatures revealed that African Americans disproportionately used early voting in both 2008 and 2012. After receipt of this racial data, the General Assembly amended the bill to eliminate the first week of early voting. <laughs> so, so what are you know, and and what are we left with here? Is like you have this voter ID law that makes sense to you and makes sense to me. On one hand, to say, oh, it's oh, it's ridiculous. There shouldn't be any photo ID, and anybody should be able to just walk up and say, that's my name, and we should trust them and let them vote. That's silly. On the other hand. I'm going to eliminate every avenue with which to gain this ID <laughs> and every other ID that you could possibly use to do everything I can to keep black people from voting. Right. That's horrific. And in that court case, um, I read a tweet from someone that had uh, had the court case there and they came out and said, well, oh, it, it wasn't because they were black. It's because they vote Democrat. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, I mean, and which which one's worse? I yeah. don't know. <laughs> I mean, but I think they were trying to shield themselves from the, the Voting Rights Act, which said right. they couldn't discriminate based on race. Yeah. So they're going, well, hey, guys, it's not on race. We just found a convenient <laughs> way to discriminate on whether they vote Democrat yeah. or not. I mean, this is this is why the we said we weren't going to go into partisanship, but here it's it's kind of yeah. obvious. This yeah. is why people level these kinds of challenges at Republicans and they have every reason to. Yeah. Because Republicans constantly engage in this sort of right. fuckery. Right. They start you start from a base level which is again, hey, we need to maintain the integrity of our elections and I'm I'm right behind them. And then they get mighty selective about how they want to maintain that integrity. Right. Because at the end of the day, they're politicians and a, and a political party that doesn't give a damn about anything but staying in power. Yeah, you want to win. And I'm going to clue you in on something. The Democrats, for all they're crying about voter suppression and everything, 
there's still a political party who is very well aware of who is being isolated by these laws and who these things may impact. And they're more worried about their chances of getting elected than they are these people actually well, getting to vote. Ain't ain't no Democratic Party representatives organizing voter drives in, in white neighborhoods. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying. Well, actually, I, you know what? I'm glad you brought that up because of Georgia. Let's let's talk about Georgia for a minute. So Georgia has kind of been like the 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 darling of the this debate during this election. The season. darling, really? Yeah, well, I don't I don't know what's, <laughs> what's the word I'm looking for. It the the flashpoint. There we go. Okay, uh, and it basically it centers on uh, Brian Kemp, who is uh, running for governor of Georgia. He is currently the Secretary of State, who is somebody that is going to oversee you know elections, voter registration, and all that stuff. And he's running against uh, Stacey Abrams. Um, there have been numerous accusations that while Secretary of State, uh, Mr. Kemp, has done everything in his power to suppress minority vote going right. into this election. And this is stuff across the board. He's kind of hit every facet of yeah. this. <laughs> and it's important to note, you know, he's up against Stacey Abrams, who would be the first black female governor of Georgia ever. I think the first black governor. I could be wrong. Beans can look it up. But definitely the first black female governor. Um, so as of right now, some of the main accusations that Mr. Kemp's, you know, being hit with is that there are 53,000 voter registrations of which nearly 70% are African American on hold with Mr. Kemp's office because of the state's exact match law. Uh, this law requires that the application information on the voter registration application has to exactly match State driver's licenses, state ID cards, or social security card records. And can I can can we pause for just a second to talk about exact match laws? Because I have I have a huge qualm with exact match laws, and that is um, when you're talking about exactly matching characters. If I go into the the driver's license and my name is Mister Martinez, and it's got to have the schwa above the N, mm-hmm. man, I don't trust the driver's license office employees to know how to type a schwa. On a driver's license. Right. So chances are you're going to get M-A-R-T-I-N-E-Z without the schwa above it. And you're screwed. Right. I mean, unless you're unless you're paying attention, you're like, "Uh uh-uh, uh-uh. Now it's got to have the schwa. And then she's got to call up her training official. Hey, how do I type the in with the with the squiggly above? Like to me, if it's reasonable, if you if you've come in and it says I am Mr. Martinez, the address matches and it's it's missing you know, the, the Schwab of the end, like who, who cares? The guy there, he knows, you know, the address already matches. You strike him off. What are the chances there's going to be 18 Mike Martinez's living in the same address, you know, with or without these little minor variations? Like to me, it just doesn't open up. It doesn't well, close any gaping holes. Exact match. I'm, I, I agree with you in a sense. I am, I am going to play devil's advocate a little. For one, I don't think there is anything wrong with having a set standard, right? Of saying you've got to develop some sort of standard. There should be a standard. Yes. In order to institute the kind of policy that you're talking about, you basically have to rely on whoever is at that polling place to make that decision. Right. Largely volunteers. Right. And, and now granted, you know, you could think, you know, well, you know, it's common sense. You take this, you look at the role, you say, Hey, you know, it matches and, and you know, it's close enough. I'm going to let it happen. Well, what happens if those polling volunteers are politically motivated, right? Because that's part of the problem in Georgia. Well, explain to me how this could become a loophole then. Say say you do have politically motivated polling uh, people mm-hmm. and, you know, someone comes in and their ID doesn't exactly match. Say it's exactly that. The schwa is gone. What we have in the voter roll is with a schwa. Well, how can this be abused? If you don't have a law that says that it has to exactly match, what are the standards? Mm. And if the person at the polling place decides the standard, how do I know that they haven't been paid off by the guy in town that wants to, you know, uh, let's 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 say, for instance, we know that um, minorities overwhelmingly vote Democratic. Right. So let's say that the person in town has been paid off by a Republican who is going to be running for mayor. And he said, hey, throw out as many black votes as you can ban them from being able to do this. All they got to do is look at that and look at the thing and say, ah, it's not, it's not a good enough. Not close enough. Yeah. So if you don't have a standard in place for them to operate off of, it's completely on their judgment. Mm. You know what I mean? No, I I can, I can understand that. So, but I, I also agree with you 
I think there's a, there was I read and, you know, forgive me if I, I can't go too deep into this one, but I did read that a guy who does like data analysis and stuff, he used an algorithm and found out that the way Georgia is doing exact match actually leads to them more erroneous, uh, you know, kickouts than it would if they accounted for some other variables. Like basically the people who wrote their exact match law don't understand that type of math. Mm don't understand the likelihood of that something. doesn't surprise you know I mean? me so, at all. Yeah. So, and I think, I think very much so it's something that's being abused. Now to my, to my point, another law that the ACLU is challenging in Georgia um, is actually a signature match law where low level election officials, which basically means people at the polls get to look at the signatures and suddenly the state of Georgia expects them to be handwriting analysts. <laughs> and anyway, if the signatures don't match in their opinion, they get to tell you, you can't vote. And that speaks exactly to what you're saying. So now you've got, you know, a poll official here who ha- can have clear bias and just go, ah, signature's not close enough, buddy. Sorry, you're out of here. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't think we're doing exact match right, but I think it's it's a noble goal. I don't I don't know what we can end up settling on there. You know what I mean? But well, we're not going to end up settling as long as we're all screaming at each other, blue in the face, yeah. denying you know denying what's actually going well, on. Like well, you know what's you know what's interesting about the fifty three thousand uh, voter registrations is that those voter registrations. So so they asked Mr. Kemp. They said, Hey, you've got fifty three thousand voter registrations that are on hold, right? His explanation was, is that those 53,000 voter registrations were largely registrations filed by the New Georgia Project, a project set up by his opponent, Miss <laughs> Stacey Abrams, to register black voters. Right. So, and he so said he, the reason there's 70% African-Americans in this 53,000 is because they were out there trying to get uh, black people to register to vote. And they did a really shoddy job of filling out the application. So now they have all these applications, all this paperwork that's improperly filled out. And I think didn't didn't they say there like the the people working on that project had quotas to fill and they were yeah. off the job if they well, didn't that fill is, the that quota. That is often the case. In another case, we're going to talk about later. There were quotas to fill, but I can't say that. Okay, not necessarily Jordan. in that one. But yeah. still, you've got your opponent who registered <laughs> fifty three thousand voters. They could have easily registered them improperly, yeah. right? Planning on having them held up. So yeah. come, come this time, come election time, you <laughs> yeah. point at these 53,000 53, and yeah. go, look, he's, he's suppressing the minority vote. Yeah. Well, nah, play it. Maybe you're suppressing the minority vote. I, I can't, you know, looking, looking at Mr. Kemp and his totality, and we've got more here that we're about to cover, but looking at Mr. Kemp and his totality, I can't say one way or the other that that, but is that, is that outside of the realm of possibility? <laughs> no, of course I mean, it's when not. we're talking about politics in this country, man, I mean, really. No, know? it's as dirty so as a pig, man. What is interesting, and I don't know if we have any listeners in Georgia, but here's something that I want to make very clear, because with all the reporting about the 53,000 in particular, this is not something that I think has been clear amongst the headlines and the, the, the just panic over Kemp icing out the vote. Those 53,000 people can go vote. This this midterm. Really? The fact that they're on hold in his office does not mean that they can't vote. I was not aware of that. Yeah. <laughs> I was not aware because no, all the reporting makes it sound like uh, they're not allowed to vote. These 53,000 yeah. people are held up in the system. If they show up with their ID at the polling place, they're going to get turned away. That's not the case. Yeah, no, it turns out provided that they uh, show an ID um, that in poll officials opinion substantially matches the records. You know mm. what I'm saying? They can vote. And the other thing is. They're not out of the rolls yet with the, or the pending thing. Like they are technically registered to vote. They have two years to reconcile the problem that Georgia has found with their application. So, you know, as long as they get it fixed by 2020, I, nothing happens. They stay in. In 2020, they're going to get tossed out of the rolls if they haven't fixed it before. Right. So, um, but again, it, that's that's not all Kemp is limited to. Uh, right. Kemp's got a laundry list of of policies he's been under scrutiny for uh, voter registration deadlines that contravene federal law, voter registration forms that erroneously told voters they had to mail in proof of yeah. name and address uh, and aggressive voter roll purge policies um, that are said to have led to anywhere from one hundred and seven thousand to 700,000 voters being improperly purged. Sounds like this guy needs to go on the probation list that that got stricken from the the (laughs) voting rights act. Yeah. yeah. And, and sorry, we don't have an exact number on the, on the voter roll purge. That is a story that 
Um, it's been it's been in the news, but then here over the last two days, it's like breaking. So I'm just going to tell you, it seems like the widely accepted number is he may have illegally purged 107,000. And then there's upwards of people saying it's 700,000. What it amounts to is a lot of states, a lot of these states in particular that take a hard stance on these voter ID laws and registrations and stuff. They use a cross check system. And ideally, all these states are going to link up their databases and be able to tell, like, if you're registered to vote over here, that'll kick you out over there. Good. I think well, we need a system like that. I mean, we, we need a system that functions properly. Yes. As best I've read, the cross check system has got a lot of flaws in it, and it's leading to some of these giant purges that are not not on the level. And again, that's a place where you can ding, uh, you know, Republicans. Again, I hate to you know be partisan here, but a place where you can ding Republicans is that I think they are very well aware that the cross-check system has problems. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, you know, can't I mean, imagine this guy looking at, you know, we'll say, we'll take a middle number, say 300,000 voters. If they were overwhelmingly Republican, yeah, dude, he'd we be would, all over it. Would you not would not worried. hear the end of it. He'd be screaming at the top of his lungs. You'd have armies of people retweeting it, and, you know, they'd, they'd play the other side of it. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's... It, another, another... Anytime you hear a politician talking about... Uh, voter fraud or or disenfranchisement, it's a partisan game. Yeah. Guaranteed. You can pick, you can look at it and say, oh, they're talking about a, a group of voters that got uh, got mistreated. Yeah. Let's see. He's a Republican. Bet they're overwhelmingly Democratic voters. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, every single time you can play that game. There's no one coming across the aisle saying, hey, let's fix this problem, even though it affects people that that would vote for my opponent. Yeah. And that's the problem to me. No, and that's and that's a very interesting point is that, yeah, there it, there really is like no bipartisan effort in either of these two arenas. It's one of those things. How did the integrity of our elections get as divisive as abortion? You know what I mean? Like, that's that's intense. Wouldn't you think like as Americans, like we come, you know, come to agreements on how we run our elections. Sure. Least, you know. But increasingly, we are seeing this battle play out all across the country. And again, you know. We are seeing Republican or GOP dominated states kind of lead the charge in these arenas. And often uh, it's hard not to say that it's not racially motivated. And I think it's completely damning if you buy into the argument that the left is making, the Democrats are making, that that voter fraud is practically non-existent. Right. So now we got to look at, is that the case? I think I think if we're going to look at whether it's racially motivated, you have to ask yourself if minority voters overwhelmingly voted Republican, would they suppress the black vote? Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> so I'm just saying, yeah. like, I'm I'm not sure I buy that. I mean, <laughs> I'm not well, sure I buy it. What I'm saying is so it it's if if voter fraud, as they say, is almost non-existent then none of that makes sense, right? Like, why go jump through all right. that? Right, why bother securing the elections with voter ID laws right. if voter fraud never, ever happens? Which is a laughable assertion that I will rail against until the end of time. You've lost your mind. Well, you'll have plenty of fodder to rail against on Twitter all because right. <laughs> it happens all the time on Twitter. That's a myth. It doesn't exist. Yeah, well, I, the first thing that I'm going to fight them with is the 1960 election of John F. Kennedy. This is one of the like biggest, everybody knows this election was stolen, right? And what's interesting is, is this debate has kind of ramped up. Now, all of a sudden, I'm starting to see cracks in that. I'm seeing people going, oh, well, you know, it's a myth that Kennedy stole the election in 1960, right? There was a Washington Post piece that made me want to pull my hair out. And this guy said that, uh, you know, it, he didn't come out and say that Kennedy did not steal the 1960 election against Richard Nixon, but he said... There's some myths around the story that kind of put things into perspective. Maybe it's not as simple as we've been led to believe, right? And so first up, in that election, one of the big areas where fraud is supposed to have occurred is in Chicago and Illinois. And his first point was, well, Kennedy didn't just need Illinois to win the election. If Nixon had won Illinois and Texas, he would have won. Oh, so tell so, us about Texas. So if there's fraud in Illinois, it doesn't really matter. Well, let me tell you about Texas. John Kennedy added Lyndon Baines Johnson onto his ticket. Who he hated, right? Who he hated. Loathed the man. Like, they had serious problems throughout the entirety of his presidency to win Texas. And who is Lyndon Baines Johnson? 
Well, he's only one of the dirtiest politicians in the history of the United States, right? He was involved in something that's called the Box 13 scandal back in 1948 when he got elected to the Senate. In the Box 13 scandal, six days after the election, Precinct 13's uh, electoral box suddenly was found to have 200 extra votes for Lyndon Johnson. And I love this. I the, love this because <laughs> the votes came in in alphabetical order, right? Yes, alphabetical Different colored order. ink on the ballots. The ballots. <laughs> it was just shady as can be, dude. And that's how And that's how Johnson even got to the Senate. And let me tell you, if ballots are in there in alphabetical order, it's because someone was reading off a list yeah. and writing down <laughs> names and filling them out. It, it was, it was about, it's about as obvious as can be. And in Texas... Uh, Kennedy won by 46,000 votes, right? Well, Johnson was closely connected with a man named George Parr who, like, ran politics in the state of Texas. And in the series of nine counties that would be his domain, Kennedy won the election by 21,000 votes. Wow. So there's half the total by which he won the state right there. Texas has more counties than any other state Mm. in the country, by the way. So so that kind of, the whole idea that, you know, Illinois, he he can bite me, right? So moving on to his next one is Kennedy's margin of victory in Chicago wasn't extraordinary. Kennedy won Chicago in Illinois by like 450,000 votes. And he's like, well, you know, that's, that's not really all that unreasonable if you look at demographics. And then if you look at the fact that in 1954, Eisenhower won by 300,000 votes. And in 1964, Johnson, LBJ, won by 350,000 votes or something like that. It's not that... That's not that big of a deal until you realize that Nixon and Kennedy is maybe one of the most closely contested elections Mm. in our nation's history. Virtually all over the country, they're winning by razor thin margins. And then all of a sudden over here in Illinois, two elections that he cited to say that those numbers were, you know, reasonable were landslides. Eisenhower won by a landslide right. that year. Johnson won by a landslide that year. The rest of the country, it was 49-51. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there, were, there was a journalist in Chicago who found entire graveyards where all the names on the tombstones had voted for Kennedy. Wow. He found a house that was burnt out that was listed as the address for 56 people who voted for Kennedy. I mean, <laughs> dude, it was fraud. All right. That election was stolen. And, and, and that, that, what do you want to call it? Heritage that stretches all the way back. We can talk Tammany hall back in the late mm. 19th century, like the New York political machine. There has always been shadiness around our elections. It's insane to think that there's not. Yeah. And, and, and all of a sudden you think after, after this election, it just, just stopped, right? Yeah. Just mid 20th century, <laughs> both parties were like, you know what? We're just not going to do that. Anymore. Not worth it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't yeah. work anyway. We we were we were busted. Public so, doesn't like it. I I know the arguments that are being presented. Like I get it. I get where the numbers are coming from. They're saying, well, you know, here's an instance of 87 voters and stuff. You know, there's 300 million people. That's that's a minuscule amount as to almost be irrelevant, right? I get what they're saying, but there's reasons for that. And I think more importantly for us as people to think that people who were competing with each other to attain power all of a sudden decided that they weren't going to cheat anymore in a world where they routinely cheat to get past EPA regulations, sure. where they routinely cheat to get past every other regulation. Dude, we, we can't have bike races without cheating, for fuck's sake. I mean, you have got bike races where people have hired teams of scientists to install tiny motors inside the bike frames uh, that that give a tiny little boost to your pedal power when you push a little hidden button while you're going uphill, and yeah. and it's eked out wins over the course of you know these crazy hundred mile long bike races. Like <laughs> yeah. if people are cheating in bike racing, they're cheating for elections. Yeah, you're yeah. only talking about all of the consolidated power in the United States. Like, yeah. So it it was it, I don't know. The guy's final point was that a lot of people said there weren't any recounts. In Chicago, and there were, but it's it's important to note that a lot of what was talked about to have gone on during the 1960 election was supposed to be things that wouldn't even necessarily be reflected in a recount. Um, now, I, I will say that a special prosecutor ended up indicting 677 election officials because of the 1960 election. Wow! Right, but all those indictments didn't turn into convictions. They all went up before the same judge who was the best friend 
of the Democratic operative, I mean mayor of Chicago, Richard Daly. Right? <laughs> you gotta be kidding me. I am me. not kidding you, man. But no, so like a lot of it was like vote buying and stuff and intimidation. And, and, and that you're stuff's not going to see gone. that in a recount. It's, and that stuff's not gone, man, because you, you come straight to our home state of Kentucky and we have very recent issues of vote, vote buying um, that have absolutely happened. We look at... Uh, uh, in fact, the Heritage Foundation reported that Kentucky alone has 25 vote buying convictions since 2003. Yeah. Uh, and most recently, we've got a case in McGoffin County. Uh, Kentucky.com reported uh, McCarty testified he took part in vote fraud with Hardin, Reisner and Larry Shepard in several elections, working as a precinct officer at Cardi Branch to corrupt elections from the inside out. In one election, for instance, he added 60 votes to the total for a state representative candidate, and Reisner signed names to the precinct log of people who hadn't showed up to cover the extra votes. McCarty actually testified in court that Reisner told him Hardin put in $30,000 to buy votes in 2010, while Larry and Renee Shepard put in $10,000, and Reisner contributed $2,000. So tell me that it's a myth and it's not happening. It is happening. People get prosecuted for it. <laughs> yeah. In Hazard, Kentucky, we got another case. Police say multiple people may have offered to buy votes. Chief Allen adds, this is a common theme in eastern Kentucky around election time. He says, every election we've ever had, we've got complaints that it's going on, that it's happening, said Allen. One year, when showing up to watch over the polls, HPD officers caught some vote buying in the act. The one that we were fortunate enough to make a case on it was luck that we wandered in right where it was happening. Ballots were sitting there, and a lot of people told us, yeah, I sold my vote. So get <laughs> out of here, man. Yeah. And, and I think you can take a look at District 6 in Kentucky, mm -hmm. and, and this, is, this makes the case to me. Uh, according to OpenSecrets.org, $11 million spent in district six, compare that to the next highest district at 1.6 million, uh, under a mill for, for the other districts. You're, you're talking about between the two parties on between the, the two parties on yeah. the election. If you've got $11 million at stake on either side to yeah. buy this election, you think they're not going to cheat. Yeah. I mean, it's give me a break, man. <laughs> you're spending $11 million on a congressional district. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I, I think what would happen is is that people would point at that and they'd say, well, you know, you're talking about, you know, three people in, in Hardin or three people in McGoffin County or Hazard or wherever. And again, they would say, still, if we look at it across the country, it's not statistically relevant. Dude, right? look, at, look at Mitch McConnell's uh, initial election here. He won by, what, 10 votes or, or something stupid? Look at the fact that he's been there for 30 some odd years. You know what I mean? Like, how do people think that that honestly gets maintained? 60 votes can flip you know an I mean? election <laughs> like, is all I'm saying. Yeah, it doesn't dude. take much in a hotly contested race. Well, I would make the argument that part of the reason that it seems like such a small thing is because of the way that this conversation is shaped up, right? So there's two, there's two examples I wanted to cite. There was one in Texas where four women had been indicted on 30 counts of voter fraud in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Um, the defendants were members of an organized voter fraud ring and were paid to target elderly voters in certain northern Fort Worth precincts in a scheme to generate large numbers of mail ballots, then harvest those ballots for specific candidates, the office's news release said. So they, they, they cracked down on this ring, right? And almost immediately as soon as it comes out, this is being portrayed, at least by the defense attorneys of the people in some, uh, well, um, there's no other way to say it, some Democratic people in the state. They're saying this is an attempt at voter, voter suppression. They're saying, uh -huh. the, they're saying that the Texas state attorney general has basically ginned up this case in order to create a justification for the voter ID laws. Oh, they're in all Texas. brown names, too. Sanchez, Tepichin, Ara. Yeah. Parra, I can't roll my R's. Yeah. But yeah, those those yeah. sound like 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 brown names. No, and, so. and, and in fairness, yeah, all four of them were Hispanic. So they're saying that that the AG is like has picked these Hispanic people to go, look, look at the minorities. They're 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 yeah. wrecking our voting system. We need the ID laws. Yeah, or like, they're trying to like, you know, partisan wise say that, you know, the, the Republican AG is saying that the Democrats are rounding up minority voters and using these methods to get, you know, a hold of their ballots and then throw them towards the candidate. Now the investigation is still ongoing. We have no idea what candidate paid for these votes. 
right? That has not been released yet. And it is curious that that this was announced right before the midterms. Mm-hmm. I think much like, you know, I'll put it to you like this. Is it likely that he created an entire two-year investigation to come up with it's as likely <laughs> to me to come up with four people that as Stacey Abrams in Georgia submitting 53,000 errant registration mm. things. Like I acknowledge that there is a chance that Abrams did that on purpose. There is a chance that the AG here in Texas has ginned up some case. Right. However, I will say that news reports actually talk to people, you know, like people on the street who said, yeah, I, I didn't register to vote. And yet it says that I voted early right. and stuff. So for him to then go through and start paying citizens to appear on the news, that, nah, that seems a little extensive, right? Get well, out of here. Let me kick it over to Indiana for a second. In Indiana, 12 employees of the Indiana Voter Registration Project, which focused on registering black voters in the run-up to 2016's presidential election, were charged with submitting falsified voter registration applications. Mm-hmm. The voter registration group also faces criminal charges. Now, the the Marion County prosecutor in Indiana, where this case kind of started, said that there is no evidence that any fraudulent votes were cast, right? Okay. However, when this story initially broke and the state police raided the organization's offices, Democrats immediately seized on it and said, this is vote suppression. <laughs> they were like, see, they're targeting this office because they're registering black people to vote. And that's all this is about. They tried to drag Pence into it. He had just, you know, been elected vice president. And but everything. it's been proved that they were actually f- registering people fraudulently. That, so this is the case that you actually referred to earlier where this group had set a quota. And they told people, if you don't get 10 people registered to vote every day, you're fired. You're out of here. So people were. <laughs> so they just started faking the applications, right? Want to keep your job? So now could I make a conspiratorial wink, wink, like, so is that. What if what if we didn't know about this? Now there's all these applications for voter registrations that are fake that are out there, and here's this activist group that knows about them. What do you think they're gonna do? You know what I mean? Like like, do you think they wouldn't give them to a party and say, mm. "Hey, here's all these people that could vote for you"? You yep. know, but I can't prove that. I have just thrown that out there. Maybe that's wrong. I mean, but there it is. <laughs> um, I think this shows how. The second that you start talking about what's going on with voting, we're so fixed into this argument about voter fraud and voter suppression that it immediately becomes one or the other when things are probably more nuanced and somewhere in the middle, right? There's a case in Minnesota and a case in Pennsylvania where two organizations believe that they found instances of voter fraud. In Minnesota, uh, they think they found, uh, I think it was 1,300 some odd ineligible felons who have cast votes since 2008. Yeah, and those were folks that actually did cast a vote fraudulently. Yeah, right. uh, obviously, felons aren't allowed to vote, which uh, I kind of disagree with. I feel like yeah. if you've paid your debt to society, you should get your vote back. No, um, I, I actually, I absolutely disagree with that too. However, like you said, it is the rule that's in place, right? Right. And, and the, I think the group was called Minnesota Voters Alliance. They cite the fact that in 2008, a Senate contest was decided by 312 votes. And these 1,300 some odd ineligible felons voted in that election, mm-hmm. right? So they've requested, they said, we think that there are a bunch of felons who are voting because Minnesota has a same day registration law where basically you show up to the polling place and you say, I want to register to vote. And they say, are you a felon? And you're like, nah, <laughs> pull out the Bible, put your hand on the Bible <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. And so they're saying, we'd like to get a peek at the records. Well, the secretary of state in Minnesota won't let them see. It. Oh, give me a break. Why wouldn't you let us see the records, man? That's right. a, That's absurd. I mean, if, if this stuff is going on, it, don't hide it. Let's see it. Let's, let's see it come to light. Now would, would Democrats support giving felons the right to vote? If felons overwhelmingly voted Republican, nah, <laughs> yeah. does it matter? Nah, right, right. No, it doesn't. If that's the rule, we want to play by the rules. Play by the right. rules. Play by the rules. Play by the I'm rules. All for changing the rules, but until we do, like I said, I'm a strong believer in having standards. We got to have rules that apply to everyone. Yeah, and if right? they're if they're not forking over those voter rolls, there's a reason they're right. hiding something. Right. Just like all the people begging Trump for his tax returns. Why isn't Trump releasing his tax returns? It's not just because he's a ginormous it's idiot. There's bad it's because there's there. bad stuff in the tax returns <laughs> exactly. that no one's going to be a fan of. We all know that. So in Pennsylvania, there's a group called the Public Interest Legal Foundation. They allege that 100,000 non-citizens are registered to vote in the state of Pennsylvania 
because of their motor voter law, right? Which is something we actually, or at least I support, which is renew, like you get registered to vote when you renew your driver's license. Right. It makes it easy, no fuss, no muss. Well, an actual Pennsylvania state official said there was a glitch that was registering non-citizens to vote. And the Public Interest Legal Foundation said that- Wait, they f- non-citizens, like illegal immigrants? Uh, well, it, uh, more so think about people on a green card or you know other people who can get a driver's license. But, but don't know. shouldn't yeah, be eligible so, to vote. But, but yes, in, I'll put it to you like this. In California, illegal immigrants can get a driver's license. So, and they, and they have the same motor voter law. So, Ah, you know, bear that in mind. But anyway, so they say we found instances of non-citizens with the ability to vote. We'd like to check your records. Once again, Pennsylvania doesn't, there's a court case. What do you know? So what did they find in Pennsylvania? One man, Felipe Rojas Orta canceled his registration uh, last year. I believe that they'd be referring to 2016 filing a handwritten note saying he was not a citizen. He had, however, voted in three separate elections, including most recently 2016, the year of the presidential race. Uh-huh. They found a woman who had her registration canceled in 2006 as a non-citizen, yet re-registered to vote twice and cast ballots in some elections. That woman is still active in the system. And, and you know, it sounds like, okay, so this is only a couple people, but this is an independent watchdog group that's trying desperately to find these people. It's right. not easy. If there's a couple people, there's more. Yeah. If I mean, they they found a uh, hundred thousand non-citizens registered to vote. You think right. they're not showing up to vote? Right. Give me a break. They're showing up to vote, and guess who they're showing up to vote for? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I think I think it bears mentioning that the Public Interest Legal Foundation, I believe, has a right wing bias from what I've looked at them. You know, this week. Uh, however, the Minnesota people seem much more partisan to me. They were actually involved in the Supreme Court case over the summer uh, about what apparel you could wear to the polling place. Okay. Uh, a decision that Ginsburg, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, agreed with, you know. But I think that, yeah, it is It is talking out the side of your mouth to say you've only got 87 instances of non-citizens being registered to vote or you've only got this or you've only got that. And then say, but we're not going to give you the records to take a look at it. Right. And luckily in Minnesota, at least a judge has actually uh, said that the secretary of state has to turn over the records. She has issued a stay for them to do an appeal. But yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's not, I mean, we go to Texas, man. There's uh there's <laughs> out of Texas. This is mind boggling. And, you know, we've gotten awfully on the partisan train here, but it's just unavoidable, especially at this point, because the Texas state Democratic Party actually asked non-citizens to register to vote, sending out applications to immigrants with the checkbox uh, that, that was marked. Yes, I have my citizenship already checked. <laughs> I mean, give me a break, dude. The Texas Secretary of State's office said it too had gotten complaints both from immigrants and from relatives of dead people who said they got mailings asking them to register. So the the, the Democratic Party is sending people they know have no business voting. Yeah. Applications with, to vote and stuff and with, to dead people and with the fraud. Think about it with the fraud box already checked. Right. So then the person can say, "Well, I didn't check. The I didn't box. check the box. I just filled out the form that was sent Plausible to me." Plausible deniability. It's a, it's a state form. You know that's, what I mean? That's ridiculous. It's right. ridiculous. So this is this is my last one, and, I, and I, this to me is all you need to know about voter fraud in Colorado. A local Denver TV station went and found multiple cases of dead men and women voting in Colorado months and in some cases years after their death. Of course they did. One of the most glaring cases was that of Sarah Sosa in Colorado Springs. She died on October 14th, 2009. However, CBS4 uncovered voting records that showed ballots cast for Sosa in 2010, 2011, 2012, and 2013. Her husband, Miguel died on September 26, 2008. CBS4 unearthed records showing that a vote was cast in his name the next year, 2009. Now, I want to ask you a question for a second. Let's say that these are just random, unconnected things, right? And that when you have an instance of a dead person voting, it's because of an accident. Somebody got the wrong card to their house or something showed up. No. no, no. Maybe, maybe it was an error in the name or everything like that. When you look at Miss Sosa's case, you tell me the likelihood that she would vote four years in a row after, after her she death. died. No. And that not only would it happen with her identity, but it happened with her husband's, with her husband's identity. Too. Bet they voted the same way. 
and and that they voted the same way. And, and are you going to tell me that it's just a, a couple local cats who were able to take advantage of this? No, man. There, there's no way that it's just a couple local cats, and there's no way that you get your your grandma's voter registration. You go, oh, ha, ha, I'm going to get six votes this year. No, man. There's it's, an it's, organized. If the Democratic <laughs> Party in Texas is sending out well, me, <laughs> registrations with the box ticked to to dead people and and non-citizens. No, there's a concerted effort, man. Just like there's a concerted effort on the other side that's what I was to saying. purge voter rolls. I was going to say it is as likely to me as it is that North Carolina only closed those places because the people were Democrat. You know what it, I mean? Give like, me yeah, a break, yeah, dude. dude. Give me a break here. And, and this, this episode has, for me, um, solidified. We talked about on the Facebook page uh, a while back um, after the Kavanaugh stuff. And I said, I'm, I'm done with Republicans and I'm done with Democrats. And this solidifies it for me. Yeah. Both sides engage in the most disgusting behavior only because it benefits their team. Right. That's it. The, that's the only reason. And if, and if minorities overwhelmingly voted Republican, you can guarantee that democratic politicians this would entire, be spouting the same nonsense that we're seeing from the other side. This entire conversation would be flipped, would be flip flop. You know what I mean? It would be completely flipped. And that's why we, we thought to do this in a, in a nonpartisan fashion, but there's just no way because <laughs> yeah. when it's the Texas democratic party doing well, it, you, you, you had said earlier when we were prepping for the episode, you had said something about, uh, mentioning how it's framed as a partisan issue, and it's not framed as a partisan issue. It's taken up as as a partisan issue, and I think that's why your point was so was so perfect earlier. Where are the Republicans who are like, no, man, that's that's voter suppression, yeah. and where are the Democrats that are like, no, yeah, man, people still do voter fraud. Like, where are those? <laughs> they people? don't exist, and and you can't look at this and say that both things aren't happening. I'll tell you where they are. Where they are, they're right here on this show. There's sense <laughs> and there's theory, yeah. and I am not. I guess I'm not a Democrat, yeah, so I can't I'm not really a say that. I'll tell you that. But, <laughs> but I lean left, and I see both happening. Yeah, you yeah. lean right, we see, see both, both happening. happening. Yeah. We need more people because you know what would stop dead people voting? What's that? Uh, voter ID laws. Yeah, I mean, really, help. a yeah. picture ID, Absolutely. man. You're not going to show up with a dead guy's picture ID, looking right. like him, to fake the vote. You know what right, I'm saying? Right. Like, there are simple things we can do to stop this nonsense from happening. We fight the Republicans in court when they when they try to, you know, pass these discriminatory voter purges and stuff. Mm-hmm. We we fight them in court. We stop it from happening. The Supreme Court is 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 stopping it from happening. Even a even a conservative Supreme Court yeah. has shot down some of these things. So, you know, th- but we've got to do something. Right. Uh, because we are at the most partisan point um that I've ever lived through and elections are being decided by tiny little by slivers votes, of margins, right? Votes, yeah. So, so voter fraud in a, in a hundred vote election—that's huge, man. Yeah. If you if you believe that the government should represent the people and that that elections, um, you know, tally the will of the people and and exercise our power, then we've got to keep it legit. Yeah. Otherwise, what are we doing? We're just letting the the smartest huckster win. No, to your point, the the Colorado story they actually cited, and I thought that was brilliant within the story. So in Colorado, they found 78 instances of dead people still registered to vote just from exhaustively going through and trying to figure it out without real access. And they highlight the fact that in, uh, I think it was in 2016 in Ohio, a tax measure passed by two votes, Mm. by two votes in the county, you know? So if you've got 30. Oh, it's only 68 dead people. (laughs) Yeah, it's just 78 dead people that we know of, you know. So I, I think um, I think it's gross. I think it's gross that the integrity again of our elections has become a political issue, and that either side wants to act like it's not happening. You know, whether it's the Republicans acting like, "Oh no, 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 we only we just want to ensure a fair election. None of this is discriminatory. Uh-uh. It's, it's bullshit, man." And and for the other side to say voter fraud never happens. Uh, ignores every, you know, it's thousands, a myth. Ignores ignores the history of democracy. I mean, it's it's. You don't know, gaslight me, bro. My don't goodness, don't man. gaslight me, bro. It's happening. We can see it's happening. It's obvious. Uh, and guys, stop playing teams. Yeah. Stop playing the team sports. It's doing no one favors. In fact, this issue specifically is is keeping us all in the dark. It's sapping our power from us. Um, if our votes really don't matter then 50% election turnout is going to turn to 30 yeah. is going to turn to 20. And then it's real easy to stuff boxes. Yeah. Then it's real easy to buy votes. I mean, come on guys, where are we at? Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, 
I think that puts a point on it, man. And uh, without further ado, uh, we will bring in Beanzo, our fact checker extraordinaire. He will highlight and outline all the places where we messed up today and probably be just an annoying little. Well, anyway, uh, Beanzo. There's a new day dawning for the listeners of the Sense and Theory podcast. For too long, the current administration's search for common ground has supplanted all standards of factual accuracy. But like the first kiss of sun on the dewdrops of America's hills and valleys, a new hope is rising. One man is ready to take a stand. One man is ready to fight for you. Beanzo. So they spend like 10 minutes in the middle of an episode talking about a law requiring citizens to carry IDs that literally doesn't exist anywhere in the nation. Enough is enough. Beanzo is pushing back against the show's establishment. That's right, buddies. I know exactly what it feels like to have your jobs stolen out from under you. We're not going to stand for it. He's championing accuracy in podcasting. Buddies, you have to see through their lies. Sense and theory wants you to believe felons can't vote in Minnesota. What they aren't going to tell you It's only if they're still on parole because they are liars. And fighting for affordable prescription drug prices. Keep them cheap and stuff. So this November, as we elect a new host of the Sense and Theory podcast, remember that this isn't simply a choice between ideologies or core values. It's a choice between a man who stands for truth, honesty, apple pies, Friday night football games with the chill of fall in the air, and good times with good friends versus two lying idiots. Vote early. Vote often. Vote Beanzo for the new host of the Sense and Theory podcast. I'm Beanzo, and I approve this message, especially the two idiots part. Paid for by Citizens for Integrity and Podcasting and people who love puppies. What the hell is this? Well, it, see, no, you no. said you guys were on a mountain retreat. Well, I been. was expecting tablas. And drum circles and sweat lodges, some bonding. Okay, so it, it might have been a recording this studio is, here in town. This actually. is a coup attempt, man. What is this? A democratic show? You're going to vote well, me out? Well, no. He, Wait, he, you're going to let an offer that I you're going to let Beans be the host of the show. Well, you I'm, know who they're going to vote just for. Run a clean campaign, dude. I don't Beans know. will get endorsements. You'll see Taylor Swift on him like a regular see, Tennessee Democrat. Now see, why is it always got to come back to that? Maybe that's the reason I went to work for him in the first place, huh? This is world-class producer and fact-checker extraordinaire Beanzo of the Sense and Theory podcast. I want to thank you all for suffering through each show to hear the righteous takedowns I drop on the fellas. Please go like and review us on iTunes. It'll mean a lot to the guys, but more importantly, it'll help keep your old buddy Beanzo on the air. There's links to all our social media in the description, and feel free and tell the fellas how wrong they were at senseandtheorypodcast at gmail.com. Tune in next week to hear Sense and Theory get all up in they feels when I burn all their hard work down again. Beans are out.